What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here we go. Pack 12 fans, this one's for you. Put your hands up! This it's the Pac-12 Apostles. Keeping it real. And only the truth lives here. Pac-12 Apostles. Another day, another dollar in the Pac-12. Our week seven preview, our week six in review. Of course, our Pac-12 power rankings. And we will break down some of the biggest rivalries in the conference. And of course, the news and notes around it. I'm George Reister, he's Ralph Amson, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. The Pac-12 Apostles is the podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans where you get the truth. No sugarcoating allowed. We keep it 100 about the conference and everybody in it. So, Ralph, what was your assessment of week six in the Pac-12? <laughs> it's hard to sum up like an overall assessment Right in the beginning, it that we still don't know. We still don't know a hundred percent who the best teams are from week to week. The inconsistency is the only consistency in the Pac-12. Bro, it's wild, right? Like that. Just when you think that you know something, Stanford messes around and beats uh, Oregon. Granted, there were some circumstances around it, officer coordinator missing, referees, all this other stuff, but you still shouldn't lose that football game. And then you're like, okay, cool. Stanford is going to turn around, come back. They got Arizona State on a Friday night, primed for a potential upset, and then they just get their doors knocked off. It, I, I don't even... I don't even know what to make of any of these teams because Utah looked like they were struggling. They're not. Arizona almost looked competent against UCLA, and now their season is dashed. They won't win. I mean, but it's the Pac-12. They might. Oregon State was rolling. They rolled into Pullman and got rolled up. 
I, I, I don't even know what to, Ralph, I, I can't make sense of it right now. I only feel good top to bottom about the talent of one team in the Pac-12. And I don't feel good about that team's ability to maximize that talent. And so here we are. That's when, I, I, when people started to get excited about Oregon State. I was trying to tell everybody to pump the brakes. Here yes, we you are. did. Oh, here we are two weeks later, two bad quarterback performances in a row. And, I, and I'm like, this is all right. This is a little bit closer to the the Oregon State that that I think that we were expecting coming into the year, even though I was surprised that Washington State, with all the distractions that they're facing, were finally able to put a team away at the end of the game. Because that Cal game that ended 21-6, that was not close at the end. But I don't have a whole lot of trust for Washington State when the game's close. And they found a way to to, to end it against, um, against Oregon State. So then you got to look at Washington State and say, Oh, well, you know, there's been so much negativity surrounding this team. Are they for real? Well, I mean, they've been ahead in every single second half of every game that they've played this year. Nick Rolovich didn't get this job by accident. He is very, very, very good at well, what he does. Will he He's be just the brought head an coach. unnecessary level of drama. No, probably not. No, next week. No, I'm done. talking about next week. Yeah, he's probably done. He's I mean, it's 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 very possible that that they could have a midseason switch while they're on the come up and it's, I mean, I don't, that's put a disaster. A moral, for it them. is a disaster. I don't put a moral judgment on it. I don't think that he's a bad person for having his principles, even if they're, um, if I, if I personally feel that they're uh, mistaken um, or for prioritizing his own personal choice over his paycheck. I think everybody has the right to do that. You do have to look at the team depending on him and the recruits and the people who work for him and, and, and all of that stuff and say like, Hey, you're, you know, you, you had a long time to get this figured out to maybe step aside to do what you need to do, not to throw up a prayer that a religious exemption um, PS, he got outed by June Jones that he applied for a, a religious exemption like to, to rely on the fact that the, of a 50, 50 toss up of whether or not the school would even let you continue to coach um, isn't the right thing for your team. It's just not, if, if, if there, there could have been some type of arrangement to even step aside for a season. Like you, yeah. they hired you for a reason. And if you said like, Hey, the, if you would, if you would have come out and showed that you were team first and saying that, like, I understand the way this mandate works. I understand that I'm probably not going to be allowed to coach the team. So let's get ahead of this. Let me step out of the way uh, and bring me back when this mandate isn't in place anymore, because I'm not going to get this vaccine, but I want this team to have the continuity that's going to be necessary for them to, um, to maximize it, their potential, which they had the ability to, 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 you know, be a challenger in the, in the North this year. And I think all that's getting thrown away now. And you have to look at that and say like, did Nick Rolovich act in the team's best interest? Um, pro probably not. And, and it's ultimately probably going to result in his, in his dismissal. So, um, and at the same time, he's a very good football coach and he deserves to continue to be a, a football coach in an era in which his personal choices don't conflict with his ability to do his job. Yep. And he's in a situation to where he can't win at this point, you know, and now people are going to question his ability to lead in the program. Um, so I guess we can start with where the conference is like, what are the PAC 12 chances 
of making the college football playoff at this time. Because this season to me is the absolute reason why we need college football expansion. Why we need to go up from from four teams. Because at the end of the season, Ralph, there is no way. How the hell are we supposed to determine who the four best teams are? Alabama just lost to Texas A&M, who wasn't even ranked. We had, you know, um, Cincinnati. They've played two power five teams in Indiana and technically an independent, but they're a power five team in Notre Dame. But then you have BYU, who's played a good power five schedule, only lost one game. Arkansas has lost two games. Like, how are we supposed to, like, have, like, figure out who the four best teams are when everybody at the end of the season is likely to have a blemish and just being undefeated doesn't mean that you're one of the four best teams either. So I think that playoff expansion, like this is the reason why playoff expansion is a must. You made a really good point there. I think that playoff expansion would definitely solve uh, a few issues. I think that the the legitimacy of an argument of who is worth the third and fourth spot in a college football playoff um you know, get so much energy. And I think that if we're talking about who gets spot 11 and 12 or who gets spot seven and eight, there's a lot less riding on that. You don't ever want to leave somebody out that might actually be able to compete at a high level, especially in a season where you do have some parity and, and, um, you know, Alabama goes down to a team that eked out a victory against Colorado, which 10 to seven year. Yeah, tweet of the year, by the way, Brendan Rice saying, "You mean to, you mean to say we could have competed with Alabama this whole time?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you're, mean you had no me cracking fool. up? No, yeah. no. The answer is no. You you lost to you uh, Minnesota thirty to nothing, right? <laughs> but you 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 got to understand, like he's just goofing yeah. around or whatever. But you know, I I think you can probably make the assumption of a couple of teams that are going to be there at the end. I mean, if you look at. Uh, the rest of Georgia's schedule, probably their bis- the biggest challenge comes this weekend uh, at home against Kentucky. And then from then on, an underperforming Florida, Missouri, Tennessee, Charleston, Southern, and Georgia Tech is how they end the year. So they just need <laughs> to make sure that they that they go 6-0, and and they could probably even afford an SEC championship loss and still be good to be in. So I think that that's a team that we could pencil in. And then you have a bunch of teams with no room for error whatsoever. I would include Iowa amongst them. I would include Alabama at this point amongst them, Cincinnati, certainly because the rest of their schedule is going to be pretty much American athletic conference play. And um, you know, the couple of teams that they usually have that are very good in that conference are not right now. And so that's unhelpful. And then you have, uh, you know, Ohio state's going to have to find a way um, to, to win out the rest of the way, which might be tough because their defense hasn't been all that good. Michigan is 6-0, and but they're not getting any respect because people look at that offense and they're like, I'm not sure. You can't pass the ball. Like you're, They're going to have to beat Penn State and Ohio State for anybody to – and Michigan State for anybody to even take them seriously because right. um, upcoming they have Northwestern and then they get Michigan State first, then two weeks later Penn State, and then two weeks after that – Ohio State. So they're going to have to win at least two of those three games for people to even take them seriously. And I think we've reached the point where if you are, if you are outside of the top 18 in the AP, you're done. 
Yeah. Um, we're not going to see SMU, even though they're undefeated, climb all the way in. We're not going to see San Diego State climb all the way in. A two-loss Texas isn't going to do it. And even if BYU wins out, they're not they're not going to get the respect because of the way in which they lost to um, to Boise State. So here we are. Uh, right now, if you are 18 and above, there is a potential shot, but you probably can eliminate four and two Arkansas. Um, and they're the only two lost team in the top 18, which leaves you with Arizona State, uh, Wake Forest, who needed every bit of that 60 minutes in order to knock off Syracuse. Um, and, and, yeah, and remain so we, the ACC's only can we just team. assume that they're going to lose? Oh, I, I, yeah, I, I'm out here in ACC country. I don't think Wake Forest is going undefeated. Um, it, it looks like Florida State's kind of trying to figure things out. You still have some talent with 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 UNC uh, there. It's it's going to be tough for them to go undefeated. So I think you can probably throw them out. Yeah, because the, the, Co- they still have Army in two weeks, North Carolina, NC State, Clemson, and Boston College left. Yeah, Coastal Carolina's not getting no, not getting it. So if we're eliminating Arkansas, Wake Forest, and Coastal Carolina, and we're only keeping Arizona State in because of the no margin for error. That, and and that I think we have to eliminate Ole Miss too, because that, that Alabama loss is not going to. Because wouldn't you need, would you need Alabama to lose a second time to even play for a conference championship? Correct. Okay. So I said, go all the way to 18, but the truth is you have Notre Dame at 14 is a maybe at 18 Arizona States, a, a distant maybe. And then you got to jump all the way up to number 12 with undefeated Oklahoma state undefeated Kentucky, undefeated Michigan State, Oregon, undefeated Michigan, Penn State, who who could still, I mean, they, they could still make a run. It's it's legitimate, yeah. especially only being at seven right now. Yeah, but okay, they so, they have a major problem. They have a quarterback problem. If, if Sean Clifford is not able to play, they're they're done so, bro. Because that that kid that they put in, mm-mm, it ain't that ain't gonna work. So we we currently have 14 teams vying for four spots two of which are Pac-12 teams. What are the odds? It's obviously not straight up one in seven if we're if we're lowest common denominator. What are the odds that one of the two Pac-12 teams left in the conversation of those 14 teams ends up one of the top four? I think good. I think, I think it's a good spot because Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan State can't all be in that conversation because they all play each other. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. so two of the three of them is gone, right? So right. now we're down to what? 12 teams. And then, and Kentucky still has on their schedule left Georgia this weekend. And then they got nothing after that. Right? So if, so if they win against Georgia, you have to assume that they're going to go to the sec championship. So Kentucky is still in there. Um, Oklahoma, they're still in there, but it's either going to be Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. So now and you're, they meet, and they meet at the end of the year on November 27th. Which, yeah. if Oklahoma State keeps rolling, then we could talk about uh, 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 two teams in the top five ultimately mm. playing for a spot. Yep, that's wild. No, that's Good for a, Oklahoma State. Yep, yeah, because uh, Mike Mike Gundy, people, every time people think he's on the hot seat, then all of a sudden they turn it up. But their next two games are at Texas, and then they got to go to Iowa State. So they got to be road dogs to even remain in the conversation. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, so I think there were actually, you know, probably around 10 teams. And the Pac-12 has a legitimate shot, I believe. They have a legitimate shot. They with no, but no margin for correct. error on either side. From from either side, these are the side. two teams. These are the two teams that have to meet in the conference championship to even yes give either um, one of them a boost. Well, see, I see, I believe that on Arizona State side, but not on yeah. Oregon side because if Oregon just wins out because of the Ohio State win, they're fine. I, I think they get into the playoffs at twelve and one conference champion that that they are a lock to make the playoffs because well, of do the, you think do you think they would leapfrog a cincinnati if cincinnati kept winning yes yeah because i feel like at this point we figure a big 12 team's getting in and an sec team's getting in unless a, a big, big 12 unless oklahoma or unless the big 12 champion stumbles twice right right which could which could technically happen yeah um, th- although Oklahoma's schedule looks pretty light the rest of the way. Yeah. Well, who so. will be their quarterback is the question. Um, yeah. So I, I do think that there are paths to the college football playoff uh, for that. Arizona state needs Oregon to win out and then to beat them in the conference championship. Right. And then Oregon just needs to win out. And they you are even, and you think it would be okay for them to face like an eight and four Utah and still get in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that that Ohio State win because Ohio State has been drowning people since then is looking much, much better. So yeah. So what are we looking at as far as Ohio State? They got they end the season with Michigan. That's going to be huge. Yep, but. They, in two weeks, they have – I don't even know if they play this week. So, the, a week off to get a little yep. bit of a breather at Indiana, and then they host Penn State. So, we'll know we'll know how much that Ohio State win is helpful by the end of this month. Yes. It, it'll be – Halloween for you will be trick-or-treat. Yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. But they have a lot of tricky games left. And, and honestly, Ohio State's schedule is going to be better than Oregon's schedule at the end of the season. Because Ohio Pac- State looks like to me, I'm looking at it of every team in the top ten right now. Ohio State seems to have the hardest road moving forward. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's not even close. There are three top ten matchups just yeah. as it it's currently scheduled. Yeah, imagine if the SEC actually played nine conference games. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Um. All right. Now on to week six, as far as it relates to the Pac-12. There was something very interesting that came out. They put out the TV ratings for the games. Um, And Alabama, Texas was the top rated game at 8.3 million. Penn State, Iowa at 6.9. I was like, who wants to watch that football game? But okay. I mean, it it was a good football game. But uh, Texas, Oklahoma was three at 5.9. Michigan, Nebraska, 4.6. Georgia Auburn 4-5, Maryland Ohio State 2-7, which is crazy because that was a blowout. Um Boise that shows how big of a draw Ohio State is. Boise State BYU that was on ABC at 2-2-4. Arkansas Ole Miss on ESPN 2-2, which was a freaking fantastic game. Utah USC on Fox 1.3 3 million dude and Stanford Arizona State but that was on a Friday night 1.1 million 
What do you make of that, Ralph? I look at that Utah-USC game at $1.3 million, and I think that that's a really, really bad sign for the USC brand. You think so? I mean, it's they're a bad football team, and Utah is not compelling right now. I think – you, yeah, but I'm, Maryland, we're not, Maryland, we're not o- at sicko level because Maryland, you're talking Ohio about, State had double the amount of viewers. Ohio State's a top 10 team. Okay. Neither one of these teams matters. And the but do USC fans really in, want to hear that, though? That, that, that the brand is it. not as strong as they believe, which then impacts, which truthfully impacts their coaching search. And now you got LSU, who is probably going to or may fire Ed Ogeron at the end of the season. That means another top coach has another place he may go. And now may USC's top choice get snatched up by LSU. May, maybe, unless it's that's the whole thing about coaches is the is the arrogance that comes along with it. Um it, coaches are uh, what Captain Savaho, right? <laughs> don't, don't save her; she don't want to be saved. <laughs> that's what that's where we're at. Is is like there's part of um, part of it is being able to resurrect the brand, and uh, I don't know. Some people would see that as more attractive or more of a challenge as long as the money's right. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that neither team is particularly compelling to anybody except for fans, gamblers, and people who want to check to see if Drake London is for real. Yeah, there wouldn't well, have been much of another reason to watch well, that game. Well, well, 58 catches for 10,000 yards in a game is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, when everybody knows it's coming, man, it's holy cow. Okay. Is it frustrating to try to defend Drake London? If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to to start listening. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media. 
as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, so let's, since we're already on this topic, let's start with that game. USC got beat the hell up, dude. The final score was 42 to 26. And it wasn't even that close because Utah put in their backups and USC scored two late garbage touchdowns. And but when you look at their stats, though, bro, they they're killing it. They they had 500 yards of total offense, Ralph. 500 yards of total offense, only one, <laughs> only one turnover. That should equal wins, right? Yeah, yeah, technically. Technically, this is a very strange game, though. Very strange. Yes, it definitely was. So it was um, three to seven at the end of the first. USC actually scored first. They got a field goal. They drove all the way down and then kicked field goals like like the like the air raid offense does. Ooh boy, did you see the play calling on that that, that led to that field goal? Yeah, like just not even having the ability to. They can't to run normal, the football. Like losing yards when you get to the red zone. Holy cow! Terrible. Because they can't run the football when it matters the most. Um, and Utah just methodically drove down the field. Cameron Rising, who wasn't even the starter, 22 for 28, 307, three touchdowns. I, I mean, what's up with USC's defensive coordinator? Like, one, one week the fan base is like, yeah, we're back. The next week they are just absolutely heartbroken and in terms of in terms of scoring defense USC's given up after last week 27.3 points per game and Utah's at 23 points a game so USC's 10th 10th in the conference in scoring defense while Utah is fourth in the conference in scoring defense right right and I, I gotta give a shout out to Cam Rising because uh anybody who had let it slip their mind that he was um anything other than elite quarterback coming out of high school uh is, is being very disingenuous. He almost everybody in the country wanted Cam Rising. He ended up at he ended up at Texas, and when he couldn't play right away, he went to a situation in which he thought he was gonna be able to do that. And I've always found that the the you know he won the job once and then i feel like according to the rest of the team he won the job a second time and they still didn't give it to him he is very good that his team loves him he can throw the ball he's had massive injury issues both his senior year of high school and his sophomore year of college um his redshirt sophomore year and but I mean, we're talking like I look at this guy and I'm like, yeah, but so did Jason White. Like, not that's not to put him on that like legendary level of of the of the uh, you know national championship winning Oklahoma quarterback. What I'm saying is, it injury doesn't define your talent. Yeah, your your, your arm talent. This is still a very talented quarterback, and so um, the idea that that Utah's weak point, of which there are plenty is that the quarterback position is a huge mistake for anybody coming into game plan against them. 
George, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like what we saw with Utah, though. They had a few stalled out drives. They were down 10 to seven with four minutes left in the second quarter. And then they scored, got the ball back, scored, got the ball after half, scored, got the ball back, scored. Yes. I mean, that was like a Tekken combo, like 14 straight hits, ass beating in the middle of a game that was kind of clunky up to that point. I had to go back and watch it. Yeah. I had to go back and watch it to understand like how it happened like that because I was watching another game at the same time and it just... I couldn't understand how this was happening. And he was doing it to, oh my gosh, they were doing it to Chris Steele. He had, this is another game in which he appeared in way too many highlights getting mossed. And, but he's still going to come out in the draft though. He, yes, he, yeah. Because somebody's going to figure that they can fix whatever the talents there. Right. But uh, like, yeah, but they tried that with, but uh, Elijah Griffin tried that too. And he should have stayed his butt in school. But, but I guess that that is okay. That's kind of been the knock on Dante Williams, their interim head coach, hell of a recruiter, right? Hell of a recruiter. Yeah. And if you are the next head coach, you want to keep him on as recruiter, but how can you keep him on as DB coach? Well, because if you, if he'll, he'll collect that talent, he did it for Oregon. You got Thomas Graham out there and yeah, but you know, you, we're talking about the actual coaching up of players. Like, because he's been with these dudes for two years and right. would, would you say that since he's been there, that, that Isaiah Polamau, a kid that you love, does he look like he's been better or worse? He de- he's definitely not playing up to his potential for sure. Not I don't think any of them are. I would put Isaiah up there too as somebody who is who is who had created a bunch of turnovers in in the uh, uh, last couple of years, and now I don't see that out of him. And he's the healthiest he's ever been. There's not an excuse for. It. I don't understand why none of these guys are ever in position to really make a play. They're getting destroyed. They, that's Utah why I'm hadn't saying won that in LA. it has to be like, uh, like it, it's got to be coaching, right? And I that's what I've actually it, heard yeah, I, from I, other coaches about Dante Williams, that he's a hell of a recruiter. But when it comes to the actual X's and O's or coaching up of players, that that's where it kind of, you know, lo- loses. And so, like, can you keep him on in a recruiting capacity that doesn't, you know, like that he's comfortable with that doesn't include coaching up of players, like that that's your main responsibility? Yeah, I mean, it's possible he's getting humbled right now. I just, the Oregon State thing of them not winning in 61 years in L.A., and then you get Utah winning for the first time in, at the Coliseum in 105 years. First time since helmets were a thing. This is, and the, and the way they did it. Yes. And then having, and then, and then coming out and saying Keaton Slovis gave you the best chance to win. So that's why you stuck with him, but there was no chance to win. You had zero chance to win at the, I mean, it was, it was 35 to 10. Well, they couldn't stop anybody. So who, I don't know, man. And, I mean, it's think, a, but the, everybody's got to go. I mean, Graham Harrell can't be affiliated with USC anymore. Todd Orlando can't be affiliated with USC anymore. For continuity's sake, maybe Dante Williams, but he's he's getting he's he's eating that humble pie, and he's recruiting his ass off too. Week. Still, which is yeah, yep. 
um, of well, the so young he's, guys. He's pro- I'm guessing he is operating with the expectation that he's still going to be around. He's trying to, which which I like. Okay, now back to the game, though. You had Drake yeah. London, 16 catches for <laughs> 162 yards and a touchdown, and then he dropped like two passes and a couple sailed over his head. We're talking about 20-plus targets for a guy. I, we're approaching, you know, Lane Kiffin feed the meter <laughs> um, thing, but Gary Bryant Jr. had five catches. Epps. Washington had four. Keontae Graham had three out of the backfield. Hey, I like Taj Washington. Uh, they got they got to find a way to get him the ball in a little bit of space. How? How? Because they're throwing speedy. it to Drake London every play. So so what did you make <laughs> of like? I mean, we've talked extensively about this offense, but what do you mm-hmm. think about it? Uh, about this game? Be- oh, about the game, the offense within the game. Um, I think it probably would have worked if the defense didn't didn't get the doors blown off them in four consecutive drives. Yep. I think it probably, you know, I think I think the offense was doing what the offense was 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 built to do. Um, but it's not really what the weirdest thing about this offense is. It's kind of an offense that, like at the NFL level, you'd have to run if you were playing from behind and you were desperate. Yep. But when USC gets down, they can't catch up. And and you might, you might look at it and be like, yeah, well, look what they did against Washington state. But was that really down was 14 to seven was 14 to seven at halftime. That's not like insurmountable. I'm talking about the fact that once they go down like three scores, this is the type of offense that you would think would claw you back in it, but wouldn't even allow you to get down three scores. And Kyle Winningham has struggled with the air raid in his tenure. But he's figured it out now, buddy. I guess so. Everybody, I guess so. everybody has. They, the Jimmy Lake and Kit Kitowski or um, Pete Kit Kitowski, the the now the op, the defensive coordinator at um, Texas, Texas, who was at U Dub. They gave you the blueprint. They gave you the blueprint. Now um, on to the game that actually happened on Friday. Arizona State hosted Stanford, beat Stanford up twenty eight to ten, and. First thing is, I figured out, I don't really think Tanner, Tanner McKee's all that great. You don't he, think so? No, no. There are there, are there are times he makes some throws across the middle, and he looks like a very competent quarterback. But some of them are just like, I'm just going to not really move in the pocket, toss it up to these big guys, and they will go get it. And But Stanford did. Um, in this game, Arizona State looked at the Oregon game and were like, oh, we're not going to let them just throw freaking slants for first downs. And so when they <laughs> when they couldn't do that, they had to go to something else. And voila, guess what? It didn't work because Stanford can't run the football. And if you You're stop right. slants and goes, that's all they're going to run. Slants and goes, trying to get first downs. If you stop that, you stop them. Good job, Arizona State. Um, I have to give Antonio Pierce a lot of credit for what he's doing with his defense. Especially in second halves. This is the third yes. time they've done this. They are Shut number the one in the conference in scoring defense. 16.2 points a game. So, listen. I got nothing bad to say about them on defense aside from in that BYU game. And... All right, well, let's get into you being annoyed with both quarterbacks in this game. 
Right. Okay. So, and I figured out I I'm not a Jaden Daniels fan. He is the probably the most annoying player in all of football. Period. College football, pro football, high school football, anything. anything. You're gonna love the reason why. You're gonna love the reason why. Because Jaden Daniels, the way he wears his damn helmet, dude, is just insane. Every single play, this fool has to adjust his helmet. Every play, because he doesn't keep it tight enough. He after every play, and then after every time he slides or gets up, he's got, I got to juggle my helmet. Put, tighten your damn helmet up, man. Jesus Christ. Not. I, <laughs> Bruh, not it, everybody, hey, not everybody has a head the size of yours and mine. Bro, it doesn't Some matter. Just got a little head. Oh god, it's so frustrating to watch. It's just like every play just dude. And uh, another player who do, who does that is Kyler Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, same thing. But at least he doesn't have to adjust it every single play. At least you don't have to wear it like super tight strapped up because I understand I wasn't a super tight guy, but there, but there comes a level of, you know, just reasonable. Like there has to be a happy medium to where, because he's putting himself at risk for having to come out every single time, every single time somebody touches him. Cause he's got to hold his helmet on. Right. <laughs> I can't do I can't it, it makes it it makes it so painful to watch this dude this good football player play football it's just annoying I he makes me want to turn the game off <laughs> really yes <laughs> what would you do if your own when back when you were playing tight end if Joey Harrington is messing with his helmet between every play would you get on him absolutely 100 percent 100 percent our coaches would have <laughs> Oh, that's funny. That's really funny. Because as a coach, I would say, listen, you're doing, you're, you're going to get a 630. If your helmet comes off and you have to miss a play, 630, that means 10 110s up and up and down. However, so keep your helmet however you want it. If you miss a play, there's punishment. All right, well, let's talk about his play on the field. Can we get past the helmet thing for a minute? <sighs> all right. Um, Here, you, okay, first of all, let me give you some wild stats because there were some Heisman whispers, right? I might have even been one of the ones whispering. He is on pace in a 12-game season for about 2,500 yards, eight touchdowns. <laughs> and six picks. And 750 yards rushing. Oh my God! It's six picks, and and potentially going like eleven and one. This is a this is the weirdest quarterback season I've ever this seen. This seems like you're, they're winning in spite of him and not because of him. But then when you actually watch the the game, he's actually doing a much better job with his feet than he is with his arm. There are four of the six games this year that he has not thrown a touchdown pass. How is that even possible? I don't know. He's completing 70% of his passes. But a lot 70. of them are, they're throwing a ton of screens, you, you know, a lot of short stuff as well. He, re, do you, do, do you know who he, who he reminds me a little bit of? Who? Um. Oh my God. 
the there, there's one there's one name that you can say that would really annoy ASU fans. The former UCLA quarterback. Um, he went to the Packers. Former UCLA quarterback that went to the Packers. Oh my God, he was there under Mora. Oh man, Brett Hundley. Yes. Where 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 Brett Huntley was consistent, high completion percentage, but uh, the majority of the passes were thrown behind the line of scrimmage. He was he ran for yard like th- this is who he plays like is Brett Huntley, except for Brett Huntley was throwing way more touchdowns. Well, you'll never guess what state Brett Huntley's from. Of course, he's from Arizona. Yeah, he actually went to the same high school as me. Uh, he. I do remember a lot of the screens and I do remember that he, that there were a lot of deep strikes and his senior year, he completed about 70% of his passes, 22 touchdowns, five interceptions. Yep. Except for his, yeah, that's why I said, except for his touchdowns are way up. And he was, uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I would say maybe, maybe and he, and he rushed for 600. He rushed for 700 yards as a junior, 644 as a senior. But he bailed oh, sorry, after, as a junior. Yeah, yeah, as a sophomore and a junior. He bailed after his red shirt junior year. Do you think that Jaden Daniels is going to be able to leave after his junior year? Do you think he's done enough? No. I, well, actually, I mean, he's done done enough to get a camp invite, but and maybe a late round pick. There's no way he's drafted in the first four or five rounds if he leaves right now. No way. No chance. And uh, my Brett Hundley was a fifth round pick. If he started, okay, if, if you had the choice the Packers, of draft, if you, okay, be, be, be honest about this. If you had the choice to draft after this year, Jaden Daniels or Tanner McKee, who would you draft first? Ooh, um, well, I, I'd say after actually watching Tanner McKee against ASU that he, he showed me some guts. He, he made a couple of really good throws. His arm angles kind of wonky. Um, I look at Jaden Daniels and I'm like, okay, there's some escapability. There. And so the quarterback that I, I thought that you were going to bring his name up, which would have upset ASU fans was Tyler Huntley. Um, but Tyler Huntley is one of those guys that like went to the NFL and, and he showed them. I actually think hey, Tyler Huntley's b- b- based upon what Tyler Huntley is doing in the NFL, not, not in college that Tyler yeah. Huntley is better than Jaden Daniels. Interesting. I just think, I think both are really good at limiting mistakes. Both show really good fundamentals from time to time, but neither one is a guy that's like, all right, this is a hundred percent on me. Let's go. Because a lot of the time it's just hitting open receivers. Even if you scheme them open downfield. Yeah. I don't see Jaden Daniels throw 50, 50 balls. And, and as somebody who follows Arizona state and as somebody who used to cover Arizona state exclusively, as far as on the college end, you know, I was watching Burko, Mike Bergovici, just wing it. Taylor Kelly go back shoulder with Jalen strong, like every single down, um, you know, you, you used to quarterbacks doing things a little bit different quarterbacking than- <laughs> and, and he's more, managing at this point, which is not putting a full skill set on display. I suppose. But then at the same time, you're like, well, I like his feet. I like his form. I like his quickness that I'm somebody, somebody's going to say the arrogance of coaching, right? Somebody is going to look at him and say like, I'm the one that can figure this out. Um, Maybe after next year, he better stay in school. 
Um, I, yeah, but will he stay at Arizona State? That's the thing that we gotta mm. figure out. But what what did you think of the of the you know it's twenty eight to ten? ASU didn't go super above and beyond. They were miss, still missing a couple of players. They still they, you know they, they they lost Chase Lucas early in the game for the second time. Chase Lucas has gotten hit trying to make a tackle twice this year and had to miss the whole game. And they still found a way you, with Jack Jones. Evan Fields, the secondary. Jack Jones uh, then, is balling this year. First, Jack game. Jones is ball. I love when he flexes yeah. on people. I love when he delivers hits. He when he gets going, he's so much fun. But then you had this defensive line, and I I'm I'm gonna be honest, man. If there's a candidate for the next head coach of, of Arizona State University, I think it should be Robert Rodriguez, their defensive line coach. He has a defensive line missing its two best players, arguably balling out. And I think that that Stanford's offensive line is terrible. I mean, if you look at the yeah. second half of that Oregon game, they only had 39 yards of total offense. And um, uh, prior to that last drive, and then they got like 50 yards in penalties. Um, I mean, I guess we're going to find out this week. That's when we'll, yep. that's when we'll know if this just Arizona state D line is legit. Um, Stanford. They, I told how long have I been saying that intellectual brutality is broken it's been a, it's it's been a while but they gotta it's weird because they have to go through the process of proving it against each team that they're not who they used to be <laughs> david shaw david shaw in his career is four and one against against arizona state like it, Bro, thinking that they, they were gonna cannot lose by three run, scores is unimaginable they cannot run the football they cannot it's not yeah. possible they the the last time that stanford has been able to run the football was Bryce Love's junior year. That's the last time. His senior year, they couldn't run it. Last year, they couldn't run it. This year, they can't run it again. And it seems almost unfathomable that you have Arizona, that you have Stanford with the way that they were running the football, that they would be last in the conference in rush yards per game. Not only, yeah, 98 yards per game as Stanford is pretty wild to think about. 3.8 yards a carry total as Stanford is pretty wild to think about, especially because Nathaniel Pete, the feature back, is actually getting 6.2 yards per carry. He's having a really good season. However, they, and I know that, I know that David Shaw probably doesn't think that they need this. They need to move into the modern era with a mobile quarterback. They really do. They need somebody who's not going to be a net negative when it comes to when it comes to the rushing game. They just can't have they can't be six games into the season and have their quarterbacks be a combined um, have a combined 33 yards rushing. Yep. One hundred percent. All right. Um, next game up we had. Uh, oh, UCLA at Arizona. And. Jordan McLeod, who got hurt in the game, blew his knee up, actually had the most yards passing in this game. Dorian Thompson Robinson was eight for 19. Eight for 19. If if Arizona could stop a nosebleed running the football, they would have won this football game because um, UCLA and Chip Kelly were like, oh, we can't throw it. Well, cool. We'll just run it every play. They ran for 47 times, 329 yards, and three touchdowns. I mean, this was an absolute ass-whooping on on the ground. 
And it leaves me with more questions about UCLA than it does answers because like Dorian Thompson Robinson shouldn't play this bad at this point. He's a, what did he, that's my question though. That's my question is, did he play bad? Because at one point he was one for six for three yards. It kind of just felt like that, that the, the, at that point they were like, all right, we're not throwing. Is it his job to like, I, I don't know. It's his job I don't to know. complete I, passes. Like it, it, I don't care about the actual <sighs> stats. It's that missing people. It's the, like, it's the missing people. That's the, that's the issue. Like you can't be wanting to be an NFL quarterback and you throw the ball 19 times in a game and you get come away with 82 yards. I mean, considering he had like three yards passing at halftime, it was it was a little more incur- and then and that they were playing with a lead and he like they started to figure it out. I don't know. This was a really weird game, George. It was really really weird in that like nothing seemed to be going right for UCLA. Everything seemed to be going right for Arizona. Yeah, they gave it their absolute best shot. They were fun to watch. You could see the coachings What's- on the up and up, and they got blown out. It How was, was that even possible? It was fourteen to thirteen at halftime, but it but it felt like they were down by three touchdowns. Yeah, I, this is a weird game. I'm so sad for Jordan McLeod. He looked. He, it, it, you got to the point where you're asking about like the fifth different Pac-12 coach this year. How did you not know what you had? How did you not know? How was it your backup? Like how, how, or your backups backup in this case, like how did David Shaw not know that Tanner McKee was the guy, how at Washington state, did they not know that Jaden Delora was the guy and how did Arizona not know that Jordan McLeod was, was their best option, especially when you're going to need somebody mobile to make up for, for giant gaps in talent. And that's not to say those other two quarterbacks can't get anything done, but there are giant gaps in talent at every position on the field. They had a, Former high school court. Oh, Jamari Joyner's back, by the way, and he threw a touchdown pass, which surprise. Yeah, <laughs> um, that that was kind of wild. Um, but they, it, everything about this Arizona team looked encouraging. They had like forty six thousand fans in the stands, and for what? Like they, uh, yeah. I, the fact well, that, that he got people they out, did they put perform on perform admir- admirably. But they just don't have the talent yeah. on the defensive end, and maybe oh. they'll develop it with some Do of these you guys. Know what I heard? Stop. What? What? So. And this involves Arizona because Arizona has the quarterback from Servite committed. Yes. Noah. And you, you seen him up close. Yes. Oh, that kid is, if he were four inches taller, cause he's like five, nine, if he Mm -hmm. were four inches taller, he'd be a four, almost five-star kid. The dude is fan. Fantastic. So check this out. USC may lose Devin Brown. We should. Ooh, I'd love to get into that story some point in the, uh, in so, some point in this podcast. Maybe at the end. Maybe at the end we'll throw so, in a little bonus Devin Brown content. So Devin Brown may bolt on USC because you know you don't know who the next head coach is going to be. All of this. Yeah. And I need getting like, he's getting a lot of love from UCLA, yeah. Ole Miss, other schools right now. Well, well, he's he's not going to UCLA because uh, what what's his name is committing there. Um, the kid. The kid that dropped Cal? Yeah, Justin Martin. Okay. So, or likely to commit there. So, you actually have... Oh, so then USC may be trying to pivot to flip Noah from Arizona to USC. Because they're going to have a problem. Because if Keaton Slovis comes 
Well, when um, when the kid from Utah is back healthy, Jackson Dart. Yeah. When he's back healthy, if they put him in the starting lineup, Keaton Slovis is gone, right? He's going to transfer. Yes. And then if yes. Jackson Dart plays well, what is um, uh, Miller Moss, Moss going to do? He'd probably leave. So now you're stuck in a position. You got one scholarship quarterback. Yeah. So then instead of having three, well, sorry. Yeah. And then you, and then if Devin Brown leaves, now you got to pivot to a five, nine dude who is absolutely fantastic. Ah, maybe, maybe that's incentive for Devin Brown to stick around, but he, he went from having a pretty average. He's one of those guys that would look really good in camps. Devin Brown's Arizona guy, by the way, just moved to Utah and he was, he, he would, he would uh, have mediocre games, really good camps. Ended up moving to Cornerkin, Utah, I think, to be closer to his brother um, who is out there. I know his his dad, you know, owns some car, car dealerships out in Arizona. He moves out to Utah. He's leading the country in passing right now. And so his options are opening up. And, you know, Ole Miss is looking at him like if we can't get Arch Manning, you know, may, maybe maybe Devin Brown is is the guy that's going to be our future. And I don't know. Did you see what happened when Devin Brown went out to Ole Miss? It is one of the dumbest stories no I've way. seen in the history of recruiting. All right. So story time. Devin Brown goes out to Ole Miss, has a great time. Great time. Enjoys the entire experience. It's probably a legitimate option for him at this point to play under Lane Kiffin in that offense. However, the 24-7 recruiting reporter for Ole Miss posted on the message boards that he spoke to Devin Brown that Devin Brown had a great time and that this offense was tailor-made for him. He spelled tailor-made like the golf company, not like Taylor. Like a... <laughs> so Devin Brown gets a screenshot of the 24 seven message board and says, I met this reporter. I gave him my phone number, but we haven't talked yet. Wow. We never spoke. So he is quoting me here and I got to, Ooh, I got to find this for you. Um, so <laughs> Devin Brown says, we never, we never even spoke. We, none of this has like ever even happened. <laughs> and, and the, the reporter's name is Yancey Porter. He's the 24 seven recruiting reporter and Yancey Porter ends up sending a D uh, a text message to Devin and says, Devin, I took the quote down immediately. Can you please take your tweet down? It's making me look bad. And and then Devin Brown found another post on another message board saying that this Yancey Porter guy saying, oh, no, I have a stringer that interviews the, the recruiting reporters. I'm sorry if I made it sound like um, I spoke directly to him. It's one of my stringers because there's so much going on when all the recruits come in. Well, Devin Brown never spoke to a stringer either. He made up the whole thing that there was even a stringer. So this guy quoted Devin Brown. Devin Brown hadn't talked to him, got caught, said that a stringer talked to him. It's not true. Got caught. And then did, uh, did, did De he take the tweet down? He posted an apology. Uh, that's very much a non-apology. And then Devin Brown uh, yesterday uh, tweeted today did remind me that I could use a new driver what do you think, TaylorMade Golf? Can we make this happen? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Ron, I like Devin Brown. He, yep. he he makes me laugh, but he absolutely roasted this recruiting reporter into oblivion, which makes everybody in my stop industry look lying to terrible. stop lying, bro. Stop lying. And but, I, I have no problem with people being called out when they don't be don't be a liar, don't be a cheetah. All right. Um if you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The next game up, that is Oregon State at Washington State. Oregon State loses <laughs> to Washington State 24, well, 31-24. And this was a game where the Pac-12 officials did exactly what they did in the Oregon a Stanford game make a phantom call on a fourth down to like extend the game. And I don't understand that, that mentality of, Oh, it's fourth down. We got to throw a flag. It, it, it's frustrating. And it actually does more damage to the conference than it doesn't. I had uh, some company this weekend and they said, normally when people start talking about the refs and they try to like find some overarching theme as refereeing, understanding that they're all different people, they're all different crews, and you have to look at the, the the totality of the situation to be able to make any judgment. Sometimes one bad ref can take down a whole crew, um, and then the, the best part of, of a referee crew is not even mentioning their names. But this, this friend that I had over said, uh, do you get more money if you make better calls and i was like i don't think that's a thing but i do know that officials are graded um even down to the high school level officials are graded and then the better overall crews get better assignments bowl games 
things like that. And he's like, so you do get more money if you throw flags for things that you could let go because technically upon review, you would have made the right call. Mm. And I was like, I don't know. I just got me thinking about it in a completely different way of like, are, is because the, the PAC 12 has had what more penalty yardage than any other conference, yes. which uh, is the whole thing of like, all right, well, if you let a play go, that should have been a flag, maybe in some way you're de-incentivized. I don't know. The, the moral of the story is it has left people scrambling for some type of way to quantify or qualify why PAC 12 refs seem to be extra active. Um, and I, I've talked about on this show for the longest time, I thought it was the stylistic differences. Yeah. And uh, there's just no excuse anymore because other conferences have incorporated the spread or have heavy running games or, or whatever else. Yep. So I don't know. I don't know. I, the, the, the thing, the thing that stuck out um, about th- this game for me wasn't necessarily the officiating. It was just another reminder that Jaden Delora is special. Um, yeah. Different team with him on the field. And he went, he went off almost 400 yards passing. Um, He had a good day, dude, but Calvin Jackson and Travell Harris are a good duo. They, Oh my gosh, Oregon state. Who's the, who's the receiver that just smoked Oregon state's whole secondary. Everybody had an angle on him and he still outrun literally everyone. Oh, Joey, Joey Hobart. Oh my gosh. That was embarrassing. And also awesome at the same time, depending on who you're a fan of. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, bro, this but, no go on. No, nah, but but I just the, the whole thing uh, Chance Nolan's a good quarterback, but you know him rolling out and trying to throw on the move like he's Tua um ends up getting picked off on the sideline. Um this is a running team. They they shouldn't be relying on 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 much more than that. Chance Nolan should be making the big throws when they avail themselves. But for the most part, you should it should be run on first, run on second, run on third. If you're Oregon State, if you can. What happened to Chance Nolan, bro? He played USC, and everybody took that result as like, oh, he he's great. USC's scheming and secondary is making everybody look like a god. Everybody's getting fat off of we're talking about Jaden Daniels being on pace for eight touchdowns, not after the USC game. <laughs> they probably get four or five back. Get back on pace. He'll double his season total in one game. Dude, Todd Orlando. So and I know we keep coming back to USC, but I don't even know how they keep anybody from that from that staff. But um, but John, Jonathan Smith has this team playing well. They're they're four and two. They still um, next week they play Utah. They play Cal, Colorado. I think they'll beat Colorado. They may beat Cal. That'll get them bowl eligible. They'll have a shot against Stanford. They won't beat Arizona State or or Oregon. So ooh, that Arizona State game's in Corvallis in November though. Oh gosh, so you're gonna get all foggy. It'll probably be. Oh, it'll probably be like a, it, it's not a weekend. It's not a weekday game, is it? Um, I don't think no, so, no. but. No, it's a weekend game, but you know, it's going to be, that game's going to be like an eight o'clock kickoff on FS1 and nothing good can happen to Arizona State in that situation. Maybe Jaden Daniels won't be adjusting his helmet as much when the face mask is too cold to touch. <laughs> <laughs> so. What do you what what do you make of this Oregon State team? Like how good are they because they're a bad team talent-wise playing their asses off. 
Jonathan Smith deserves every bit of praise he gets from everyone. I know that you praise somebody enough, someone's going to get annoyed with it. I don't, in, in his case, I don't think anybody should. If they can get to bowl eligible under him, something they haven't done yet, then that's improvement. Um, that's a massive improvement considering that they yeah. don't have a quarterback and they're rushing for 230 yards a game. This is this is not a drill, dude. They are not playing around. I like I I like this team. I it all it just continues to make me wonder what happens when they get what happens when they start getting talent. If they start getting talent, will the transfer portal era make them a destination school? Because it started to be that when you saw people leave Nebraska for Oregon State, it was like, oh, if they could be the team that just says, hey, we're the we're the transfer portal destination. If you want to play, if you want to maximize your talents, you want to do it for Jonathan Smith. But will Jonathan Smith be the head coach at USC next year? He's the one guy that they could lose the rest of their games. And I would still say the performance wasn't dependent upon whether or not USC should look at him. There's guys out there that are losing games that that had to win out to even have the USC fan base get behind them. I think Jonathan Smith would be the best option regardless of how Oregon State yep. performs because we got four or five years of, of, of evidence of knowing the type of recruit that goes to Oregon State, knowing that Oregon State would would be a fifth best in the Mountain West and maybe second best in the Big Sky. And they still have offensive stars every year. Yep. There are teams that don't have offensive stars. Like, Dude, who uh, knew know. that chan- that Deshaun Fenwick and B.J. Baylor were were going to be able to do this after last year. They had two different backs doing it, and they're just rolling them in. Who, hey, yo, you get a carry, you get a carry, you get a touchdown, you get 100 yards. So um, now we have our Pac-12 power rankings for this week after week six. Going into week seven, We'll give seven through well twelve through seven, and then six through one. What are your twelve through seven, Ralph? Nothing changes at the bottom: Arizona, Colorado, Cal, Washington. That is my my bottom four, and then it gets a little tricky after that. But I have USC at eight, Stanford at seven. Yeah, I it's that's not terrible because twelve through nine. That's that's fairly obvious, right? And uh, there's no way you can argue between number 12 and 11 because Arizona's been noticeably worse and they haven't won. Cal's been competent, but like can't win. And Washington, good God, they're two and three. And then you got USC sitting at three and three. And Stanford, they're, they're schizophrenic. So... Um, mine is I have Arizona 12, Colorado 11, Cal 10, Washington 9, Washington State 8, USC 7. Because USC beat Washington State, so how can I put them above them? But I don't even know what USC team is going to show up because they beat Washington State, but they beat Washington State without Jaden Delora in the second half basically until they were too far down. So I, I don't even, bro, how are we supposed to, to, to do this? But uh, six through one. Six through one. I've got Oregon state. Was- uh, yeah. Oregon state, Washington state ahead of them. Utah at four at four, UCLA at three, ASU at two, and then Oregon still at one. Okay. 
I got Stanford at six. I don't feel good about Stanford at six, but they beat USC. Um, Utah at five. Oregon State at four. UCLA at three. Arizona State at two. Oregon at one. I, I think that w- one through three is pretty easy. But this week we're going to, you know, we're going to be able to separate a lot of that this week, though. So I guess now on to the games of this week with our week seven preview. So the first game up, we have Cal at Oregon. This is a Friday night game, which which gives me like heart palpitations. I am absolutely terrified of Friday night games, but Oregon's already lost one. So, so I'm, so I feel pretty good about it. Um, Oregon's favored by 13 and a half points over under 54. No CJ Verdell, no Justin Flo, no Bennett Williams, maybe Joe Moorhead or maybe not. Um, yeah, bro, where do you, what, who are you picking in this game against the spread and the over under? And then what do you see in this game? Oregon keeps flirting with 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 uh, the line. I don't see. I see it being close, but not one of those games that's, you know, maybe Cal gets back into it toward the end. I do have Oregon winning. I like Cal to cover, um, just because. Uh, again, you've been picking. You've been picking Oregon on the spread all year, and how's that working out for you? So I'm trying to learn the lesson from you, and I'm gonna say Cal maybe loses by 10, 10 to 12 points, but I do like the over. Um, I think that, uh, no, I, I lied. I lied. I, I, I think, I think we're going to go under Cal scoring six points against Washington state. I don't think that's a fluke. I think it just ultimately is a low scoring, ugly game, maybe 24 to 14, something like that. Oh but God. Oregon gets the win. Oh God, bro. If it's 24 to 14, I'm going to come on, on my post game, <laughs> um, spaces on Twitter and go crazy, bro. That's unacceptable. 24 to 14, bro. If Oregon doesn't win this game by 14 points and cover this spread, I'm going to scream. Like there's no reason for this. There would be absolutely no reason for that. They're coming off of a buy. Um, they should be figuring out how to get Ty Thompson, a couple of series in this game. They scored, Six points against Wazoo. Washington, they scored 24 points against Washington, and some of that was kind of sketchy. They let Sacramento State score 30 points on them. This, they only scored 17 against Nevada. Bro, Oregon, I, I give me Oregon uh, minus 13 and a half and the over hits because they better put up 40 some odd points in this game. Where do you think Tim DeReader's head's at right now? Oregon oh. off or or oh. off, uh, Oregon defensive coordinator who used to be the associate head coach at Cal. Yes, who got de- demoted for no reason and re- replaced by my former teammate Peter Sermon by my former teammate Justin Wilcox. <laughs> so, <laughs> um yeah, he's going to be trying to shut them absolutely down. I didn't even think about that aspect of it. Yep. 
Give me Oregon covering. You missed out on this one, Ralph, on both sides. Um, okay. The next game up in order is Arizona at Colorado, Ralph. Colorado minus seven right. points over 46 and a half. So if we go back, remember a couple uh, on the last show, I believe I asked a question that I had seen on Twitter, which streak would end first Alabama's win streak or Arizona's losing streak. And Alabama, I was right. Alabama's win streak ended first. I didn't expect it to be against Texas A&M, but Arizona's got a shot in this game. Until Jordan, they had a shot until Jordan McLeod got hurt. And now they got to put Gunner Cruz in, I'm assuming, which is not going to work out well. Colorado actually passes for over, I'm going to give them 270 yards passing, which would be a season high by like 50, (laughs) by like 50 some odd yards. So, yeah. So and Colorado and Arizona can't stop a nosebleed running. So Jared Bruce Broussard's gonna uh have a good game and whoever else is running the ball for them. Give me Colorado minus seven, and I got the under, I believe. Okay. I do not agree with the the season high passing total. I think that Colorado knows how important it is just to get out of this game with a win. And I think that they go full on all running game all the time. How many um, pass attempts? 20. Is that too many? <laughs> yes. I think that that's too many. 18. 18. Hey, I will set it at 18 and a half. You're going over or under. Okay. Against USC, they passed the ball. He, Brendan Lewis uh, passed the ball 17 times. Against Oh, against Arizona State, he passed it 17 times. Okay, so that's definitely too many. Against Minnesota, he passed it 16 times. Against Texas A&M, he threw it 25 times. And against University of Northern Colorado, he passed it 15 times. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) it's going to be under. Um, (laughs) I hope that the place is packed out. I really do. You have one opportunity, if you're a Colorado fan, to just kind of have a party. Um, do it. Get out to the game and have fun. I know it's two winless teams. I know some. No, no. Col- Colorado has won. They beat Northern Colorado. That doesn't count. I don't count FCS teams. <laughs> and I, to the same token, I don't count it as a loss either. <laughs> like, let's just get all those games. Out. Those are all exhibition games, George. Uh, no, um, I, I'm pretty sure NAU's counting their win against Arizona. <laughs> That's true. Oh, man, I, I just please, please, please make it a party out in Boulder. Have a good time. Enjoy it. You're both out of contention in, in, in the Pac-12 South. All you can do from here is play spoiler. Um, just get out and enjoy some football because you're not going to have very many games to enjoy after this. Arizona better time. win this game. Well, th- th- this is their only opportunity to win a game, right? Probably, unless they... Uh, they, they still got USC. <laughs> oh, is it damn. at the Coliseum? No, I'm dead ass serious. Uh, the games yes, being it's at the, at the Coliseum. Oh, so they yeah, actually have man. an even better shot. Yeah, I would. I honestly like if you you have a better chance of coming out of the Coliseum with a W if you are a visiting football team 
than if you were a lion in the original Lions versus Christians. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, well that game's on Pac-12 Network. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the next game up, we have Stanford at Washington State, and. That line, uh, Stanford is actually favored by a point and a half. I can't make sense out of that because Washington State, when you look at them on the uh, season, their rushing defense, uh, actually, I guess it's not that great. They're 10th. You got to pause. You got to pause because we didn't give our picks. (laughs) Neither one of us did. For uh, which (laughs) one? For Colorado, Arizona, neither one of us. I no, 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 no. I I I did. I said I got Colorado minus seven. So I'm taking Colorado and the under. under. Okay, so I'm with you. Okay, the whole way. All right, back to Washington State. Yes. So Washington State's giving up 160 yards rushing per game, which Stanford's not going to go over. They only rushed the ball for 97 yards a game. So. Uh, Stanford's favorite by a point and a half. I don't know why. Um, yeah, I'm taking, give me Washington state and give me the over over a 52 and a half. Okay. What is your, 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 you're pretty sure about this one? Yes. Okay. Because Stanford from week to week, they're kind of Jekyll and Hyde. And I feel oh, like you keep getting tricked. You are right. This is you, their off week. Oh my God, Ralph, you are <laughs> right. Like They've you won every other game. You never said, mind. You said after that Kansas State game, you're like, oh my God, they're never going to win again. But you before that, you had picked them to go well over the four wins. Yes. And then heading into Oregon, you're like, no way. And then heading into Arizona State, you're like, all right, they're going to get ASU. <laughs> okay they're, you, they're they've been playing you like a fiddle ralph you just pointed it out never mind on washington <laughs> state stanford comes out and wins this football game give me stanford and give me the over okay i will i will i'll rock with you on this one we're both then again you know washington state has been up in the second half of every game they played in however i'm, I'm with you I, I believe in the yo-yo i really do i think that this is the this is yo-yo week for stanford they get it back Nice, which means they'll finish six and six. Um, <laughs> hey, that's over the four games, though. Yes. So technically, David Shaw would have been would have been right that everybody was everybody was uh, saying they'd finish like last in the North for no reason. Mm, they still may finish last. In the North. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, uh, UCLA at Washington. Boy, oh boy, this is probably the biggest game of the week for both teams that you have. Well, actually, uh, I don't know. Well, yes, yes, yes. Because UCLA, who's now unranked, they have they will either fall to four and three or go to five and two. And those are two different situations. And Washington can either get to 500 or fall to two and four. If they fall to two and four with the amount of talent, quote unquote talent, based upon recruiting rankings that they have on this roster. And then when you look at last year's recruiting class, this year, what they have going so far, this is a make or break game for Washington and Jimmy Lake's early tenure. Make or break. Hmm. I would say that 
this is the only opportunity for either team to be relevant moving forward. I think you can stop taking UCLA seriously for the rest of the season if they lose this game. Mm-hmm. I think you could stop taking Washington seriously for the rest of the season if they lose this game. I think you were right on when you said that this is this is incredibly important um, because it's a it's like an elimination game in a reality show. Like whoever loses that they could win out the rest of the way. I'm still not going to care. Like I really I really am not. I, I think both of these teams, um, even though I, I believe I had. I believe I had UCLA going eight and four and third in the Pac-12 South. I still, the the way this is shaping up to happen, even if I end up being right, I'm I'm not going to be, they can't be satisfied either because they looked very, very good and the defense has completely fallen apart. Uh, on Washington's end, they've already lost more games than I thought that they'd, they'd lose all year and that there's just no more room for error if they want to be competitive, if they want to, um, oh, if, if they're they not making a bowl if they lose Oof. this game, <laughs> they're not even going to get a bowl Oof. game if they lose this game. I mean, yeah, that's exactly. that's real taco right there. Um, they so you have, I mean, really think about it because where we talked about people were picking Stanford to finish last in the Pac 12 South, that's probably going to be Cal, and then Washington has an outside shot to finish fourth. So then that puts Oregon State, Oregon, and Washington State as the only teams that can win the conference. I mean, win the uh, North. And in the South, it's UCLA. Well, actually, Utah and Utah, Utah and Arizona State are the only ones that control their destiny. And UCLA needs Arizona State to lose twice, which, yeah. That ain't good, man. Um, so what do you make of this game, Ralph? Oh, Washington, sorry. Washington is favored by, what, a point and a half? Yeah. Yep. And Washington's favored by a point and a half. And the over-under is uh, 55 high. and a half. Yep. That's a high. It's a high one. Um I would say that I don't know what to make of it. So I'm going to revert back to my preseason. I hate when I have to do this because I can't, I just, (laughs) I, I, in the preseason, when I was tallying this all up, this was a home win. And so, uh, yeah, but you also had them at like five and oh, right now too. Yeah. I mean, I had them definitely doing better than they're doing right now. Uh, so for the sake of just being on the other side of you, I'll go Washington and the under. Mm, mm, mm. Wow. I do. At the end of this season, this is going to be a destruction. When we look at the amount of points that I beat you by. I can't, well, I can't catch up. I don't think I can catch up unless we're, unless we're different. No, so no. You things being equal. I got to go opposite of you. Yep. You are right. So Dylan Morris, Washington's quarterback, is going to have to do something, right? Like Because UCLA's pass defense is the worst in the conference. There yeah. is the worst in the well, – well, actually, nope, nope, nope. Now, as for, well, as far as defense pass efficiency, um, USC's worst – and Cal, I'm sorry, and UCLA is second worst at 139 versus USC's 130. And um, Washington has the best 
at 96 point at 97.6 but does UCLA even care because they're going to run the football anyway so uh yeah and Washington is as far as their rushing defense they are they're giving up 173 yards a game which is 10th in the conference which actually plays really right into UCLA's hands I got UCLA and I got the over man. That over is just so high for two teams that are going to not be throwing. But I mean, if you can't stop the run, you can't stop the run. Well, UCLA can stop the run. They have the best rushing defense in the pac 12. Yeah, no, you, you made a good point. So you really think, I think can Dylan. So it's all on Dylan Morris. Yes. Yikes. All right, well, good luck. <laughs> May the odds forever be in your favor. So who are you picking in this game? I, I'm going the opposite of you. I'm going to go Washington and the under. All right. Good good luck, Father. Good luck. <laughs> um, all right, the last game up this week, we have Arizona State at Utah. This is a 7 p.m. kickoff on ESPN, Pac-12 after dark at its finest. And, um, yeah, Arizona State looks good. They're playing at Rice Echo Stadium. Late game. It's not going to be too – the weather's not going to be too bad. It's supposed to be in the 50s. Yeah, so what do you – what say you in this game where Arizona is favored by a point? Arizona State. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, sorry. And they're they're favored by a point point and a half. Sun Devils fans get a little bit touchy on the thing that everybody seems to do repeatedly. I like Arizona State in this game because, again, defense and run game travel well, and the strength of the Arizona State defense is is the defensive backfield. So even if Cam Rising is really on one, He's going to face a little bit of a challenge. I wonder if Chase Lucas is going to be available. He um, he took a pretty hard hit to the back trying to make a tackle early in their last game and sat out the rest of the time to Marcus Davis, his backup. They, they did have one touchdown pass go over his outstretched hand, but otherwise he had a pretty good game. Jordan Clark is starting to come into his own. He had struggled a little bit before um, this is Ryan, Ryan Clark's son. He's, he, he, he's a good player. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what, do you t- put any stock? I don't like to get into the whole like emotional game, um, thing, but I've, I've seen a bunch of people talk about the fact that Utah is going to be playing the, with the weight of having gone to this funeral, another funeral. Um, do you think that affects their play on the aggregate on the whole? What? having a, the whole team have to go, I think, to Texas for a funeral? Mm. Mm. I think that this is the kind of thing that galvanizes a team, though, too. I do. Um, that Because we had that happen, but that was during bowl practice when um, Haloti Nada's dad died. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he had just been at practice and then he went back to Utah to go back to work and he, uh, his truck careened off of a, he was a truck driver. It careened off of the side of a mountain 
So that's how his father died. And that was, you know, that was traumatic because I was talking to him hours prior to him dying. Right. Like it wasn't even 24 full hours. So, yeah. So <clears throat> I don't know, man, this, th- this is a game. The what the state of Washington's program is on, tr- is in trouble because you have, um, uh, Washington. Sub- yeah. Yeah. Of Washington. You- oh God. Yes. I lost, I, I lost track. I will, I will talk about that in a second, but, um, okay. Utah, I was looking at something while we were talking about it and it made me <laughs> lose track. So Utah, man, look, this is a game that I need Arizona state to win. I mean, I okay. guess sort of because I did say that Oregon is going to the playoff anyway, if they went out. But, you know, I would like to I would like for them to be against, you know, another top team to at least like shoe it in and at least have a few Pac-12 teams ranked. Because if UCLA wins, they'll be five and two. They may get back into the rankings. Arizona State will be, you know, in that 15, 14, 15 range if they win. But this is in Rice-Eccles Stadium, man. This is turning into a rivalry between Arizona State and Utah. Give me Utah plus a point and a half, and I will take the over in this game as well. Okay. I I have Arizona State. I think that they're – I just think they're the better team. I know it doesn't always matter. These two teams are three and three in their last six, so it could really go either way. But I think it's going to be—I think it's going to be a scrap. And I do think that this is uh, this is going to be under the fifty and a half. Okay, and and who and you're picking Arizona State? I am. Yeah, I have to. I got. I got. If it's a if it's a minus one line, I got to rock with them to get to that eleven and one preseason prediction. But I do think they're the better team, and I think I think they do win. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. And the last thing is, is that we were talking prior to the show about whether this Arizona state game is a, um, is a rivalry, right? That whole thing, Arizona state, Utah, is it a rivalry? Uh, I'm sure you've noticed that the fans online have a tendency to be at each other's throats, um, a little bit. Uh, it's obviously also been um, aided by some people who who are just mischievously trying to encourage it. Uh, yeah. So what what do you think? What, how long do you think it takes for for a rivalry to develop? A year. A year. Oh, actually, no. One year. Two years. Because I do. Hold up. In normal circumstances, I think it takes a long period of time. But in some circumstances, like where you had Utah coming to the conference, all of this, like when you, when uh, bad things befall the other person. Like, for instance, Stanford and USC and Stanford and Oregon seem to be bigger than Stanford Cal. Right, right now, even though Stanford Cal has a longer history, Stanford has a history, a recent history that's made Oregon fans hate Stanford. 
and has made USC fans hate Stanford. So has so the question is, have enough egregious things happened to make both fan bases hate each other over a short period well, of time? Yeah, okay. So I, I would tend to think that a rivalry happens over time. Um and consistency. This isn't a matchup that happened a lot before Utah actually joining the Pac-12. There's a regional element to it. They share a very long border. They've been going after some of the same recruits. Jordan Wilmore was down to Arizona State and Utah, picked Utah. Jaden Daniels was down to Utah and Arizona State, picked Arizona State. Solomon Enos was down to Arizona State and Utah, picked Utah. And then Arizona State's coaching staff was like, we wanted Jordan Porter anyway. Um, so that there was a kind of a an interesting element to that one. You had the Evan Fields hit on Zach Moss, I believe that led to some dentist uh, going after Evan Fields. And and that became a whole like national story and Utah fans having to uh, apologize. You had Eno Benjamin pretty much the entire time he was at Arizona state, John back and forth with Utah fans. Um, And then you have the three and three in their last six, Two of those games, I think both teams were ranked. I think all but one of those games, at least one team was ranked. And the fans are going after each other on social media, and it seems to be a lot of the younger fan base. And in their mind, if it's a rivalry, I suppose it is. But as far as the coaching staffs, there's not really anything that's happened between Whittingham and Herm. Um, Herm did apologize for the number of personal fouls that happened in the 2019 game. But yeah, I mean, so there are things that I can point to to say like, oh, this is this is heating up because it's happening in recruiting, but not everybody's into recruiting Uh, the on field results. um, I think matter games at Salt Lake are really like boisterous and everything, but aren't they like that for everybody? So I'm I, I believe that it's possible that a rivalry is starting. But the seeds of a rivalry, the potential of a rivalry is not a rivalry. It has to kind of continue down this trajectory so that there's not a single year that passes where it's just like, oh, this is our Utah game, but we're actually looking ahead past that game to USC or something like that. And because it's kind of been the focal point of the season, but not the main focal point, but one of the focal points of the season for both teams for the last couple of years, I could see why people would believe that. But I do believe you need a little bit more tradition and a little bit more time to be able to say like, yes, this is definitely, there's not even a trophy involved, George. Like it's not even like Mm. official or anything. Yeah. But I don't think that you need to have a trophy involved. I think that that requires a long time. Like you, you don't need the golden shillelagh or (laughs) whatever that USC and Notre Dame play for. But I do think that when you start to impact that team's future or past, then you have a rivalry. Yeah, okay, I, I can I can see one starting. I think you're probably going to need something associated with it. And if you say, oh, well, you don't have an item that goes back and forth, all of those items had a start. You, you know, it's not going to be like the uh, Yukon, South Florida one, whatever, that was just like, hey, there's actually no animosity, but we just need a rivalry, so we got to manufacture it. Um, that th- this one actually has some heat to it. So what's the spark going to be? What's the, you know, what's the thing going to be, or is it going to cool off again when, when it's not, you know, it did do, does anybody who doesn't have Twitter think it's a rivalry? 
to me, that's the, mm. that's the primary mm. mark of it is, is somebody who's not plugged into the social media aspect of it. Do they believe that it's a rivalry? Because if you ask an Arizona state fan that's in their sixties or a Utah fan that's in their sixties, Hey, you've got ASU coming up rivalry game. And they're like, who, what then, you know, you, you, you kind of lost it. It has to be something's kind of universally agreed upon. I am not one of the people that believes that you can't have more than one. And I know you as an Oregon fan, like there's already more than one built in, but some people believe that your primary rivalry is it. No. And no. there's the microcosm rivalry. So like I look at Keaton Slovis versus Jaden Daniels as a sort of micro rivalry because Jaden Daniels didn't get that USC offer. Keaton Slovis didn't get that ASU offer and they have to go head to head every year. So that, but, but as far as like an overall team versus an overall team, would it ultimately you think be up to the fan base or the players? So if every player was like, yeah, this is a rivalry game we're looking forward to, then would the fan base have to get on board with that? Yes, absolutely. I think that that's a reasonable solution. Um, so you guys, that is Pac-12 Apostles for this week. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Ams, and you guys can get a hold of us as usual, 818-293-7547, or shoot us an email, I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. Peace out. Catch you guys later. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.